Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. The recent budget for 2021 here in Singapore highlighted our emphasis on a green economy with green bonds and the development of infrastructure meant to catalyze the flow of capital towards sustainable development. Moody's has reported that 2020 marked a breakout year for ESG investment performance. The ratings agency also saying ESG investing is likely to benefit from the new U.S. administration and its policy shift on environmental issues. The U.S., for example, formally rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement and looking to reverse uh, recent rollbacks on environmental rules, stopping the Keystone Project, for example, and clearly prioritizing clean energy growth. So today we ask, will ESG strategies be a key driver of organic asset growth in 2021? The Investment Management Association of Singapore, or IMAS, is organizing a two-day virtual conference on the 9th and the 10th of March that will convene and gather the most influential investors and thought leaders, even tech firms, meant to share new ideas on factors affecting investing in ESG. Peter Monson joins us now. He is representing the Investment Management Association of Singapore, or IMAS, from Nico Asset Management, uh, which is part of the IMAS Executive Committee. Peter holds the position of Senior Portfolio Manager at Nico Asset Management. Good morning, Peter. Good of you to join us. Good morning, Michelle, and thank you, Money FM, for having me. Oh, pleasure. Can you share with us uh, your overview of how, in terms of investing performance, how 2020 was for ESG investment? Yeah, so it was a really interesting year, really pivotal year, as you mentioned, Uh, And it certainly added uh, significant value during 2020. And I would say there's sort of two aspects to that. One is that, you know, better uh, companies adhering to ESG certainly held up better during the downturn. But then towards the second half of the year, we saw huge sort of structural changes in the industry. Uh, Obviously, solar and wind uh, have now become more economical than a lot of traditional fossil fuels in a number of countries because prices have come down. So that was one big point. But the other was obviously big policy announcements uh, in China, Korea, Japan, and this part of the world. But also, as you mentioned, uh, Biden coming in and a complete about turn in U.S. policy with them rejoining Paris Accord, etc. So uh, that led to, again, a big improvement in earnings prospects for a lot of companies that are geared to that. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's something we can get into a bit more uh, later on. Yeah, terrific. So you mentioned that seismic shift from coal to wind, solar power. Um, does that mean U.S. utilities could be a potential green investment area to consider? Uh, very specific uh, U.S. green utilities. Um, I know a number of them have sought change, and even some of the big energy companies have definitely been repositioning uh, their investments and their strategies towards uh, addressing that green opportunity. Mm. In terms of uh, demand for ESG investments, Peter, is that on the rise as well? It is, definitely. And um, there's a number of factors for that. And 
we believe a lot of them are very, very sustainable. So again, ESG investing in Asia is still probably in its relative infancy, mm -hmm. certainly relative to Europe, which is definitely a global leader in the space. Mm -hmm. But the appreciation, I think, is accelerating rapidly, and that's being driven by a number of different factors. Policy is one, as we mentioned. Um, we already talked about the big commitments to carbon neutrality, mm -hmm. uh, the U.S. policy shift. But even closer to home, you know, you've seen Singapore's goals of developing a green finance hub, uh, really ramping up this year as well. And there's also other things like the Modern Slavery Act coming in in Australia, New Zealand and, and UK, and that will affect supply chains over here as well. So policy is a big one. Mm -hmm. um, again, another big factor is demographics, um, which might sound different, but millennials and zennials definitely are a lot more uh, sort of geared into this. They care a lot more about it and than maybe prior generations have. And they spread information a lot faster. So just think of sort of Greta Thunberg, for example, uh, to make that point. Um, but all of this is sort of leading to more asset allocation, and that's another big point. More and more capital is being directed towards ESG funds or ESG integrated funds, and that's both from institutions and individuals. And that asset allocation is forcing greater capital market understanding and scrutiny. So there's more and more sort of independent entities helping provide research and learning tools for this. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, IMAS have recently launched a handbook on implementing environmental risk management guidelines, and they're producing a lot of e-learning ESG programs which are coming out this month, which will really help develop the understanding of it better as well. So we see all these kind of uh, factors being sustainable because the goal itself is greater sustainability, mm -hmm. uh, both for capital markets and our world. Uh, but given Asia is relatively new to the area, we just see the ramp up being that much more pronounced uh, and the improvement from a lower base uh, just really pushing forwards, particularly with those big, big countries committing to carbon neutrality has really put the, the sector into, into focus. So what do you think the Asia ESG investing playbook may look like? Yes, yeah, so there's there's a couple of aspects to this. Uh, obviously, um, people have previously looked at ESG as just sort of protecting asset values and maybe not uh, looking at the sustainability angle of it. Um, but I think if I if I define sustainability for you or from our perspective, you know we think that's growing profitably and in a manner that incorporates all stakeholders' interests, from the companies, the investors, the employees, and the communities they impact. Um, and when we're looking for investments, we're really looking for sustainable returns, positive change, uh, and an undervalued share price. And we integrate that ESG analysis into uh, all those pillars because we believe it's integral to all of them. So we don't just think this is about managing the ESG-related risk factors or protecting asset values. It is about looking for the ESG opportunities. And those opportunities come in two camps. There's the, the companies that are starting from a low base, but they really want to improve. And again, that will improve the sustainability of their earnings profiles. And then there's those companies that are repositioning to really take opportunities in renewables or EV or other areas uh, of the green opportunity. Um, and all of these are, are key components to sustainability. So from our perspective, protecting asset values is one pillar. Mm -hmm. We really need to now focus on the ESG opportunity and where those opportunities lie. Do you think the biggest challenge facing sustainable investing is the fact that there is no clear-cut criteria about what makes a company ESG investable? Yes. So that, that's one aspect that definitely needs some clarity because there's multiple different sort of philosophies 
and investment processes built around ESG, and you can look for sort of the best ESG companies, but they don't necessarily always bring you the best ESG returns. Mm. The ones that typically give you the best returns are the ones that are improving from a low base or that are repositioning or already positioned to you know, take that opportunity. Um, and again, we, we can discuss all the different types of opportunities because the focus really has all been on green at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, that's not the only one. And of course, within green, it's all been about um, EV and you know, solar and wind and renewables. Uh, but there's also a lot of other areas that are really helping to um, you know, fight climate change. Uh, huge, huge uh, investments are going to need to be put into grids uh, because renewable energy is, is more variable. Um, so that requires an upgrade to smart grids and more efficient power management systems. More renewables will also need uh, more power exchanges. Um, and there's also better need for carbon capture solutions, um, which aren't really readily a bit available in the markets at the moment. So these are sort of maybe the more less or the less glamorous areas of the market that haven't really been rewritten that much, and we see room for those to, I think, come into portfolios. Um, now the other major thing that really doesn't get as much attention at the moment because all the focus is, is on green, mm-hmm. but there's that of social opportunities too. So think of access to basic services, finance, healthcare, food. Think of health and well-being. Think of community and employee development. And these are massive opportunities in ASEAN and Asia and actually are sort of where we find the most underappreciated or long-term sustainable investment ideas currently. Would that be in emerging economies particularly? The opportunity, I think, is bigger in emerging economies, definitely. Um, And there are a lot of companies, particularly with uh, advancements in technology and access to smartphone and data, that are uh, really addressing this. Uh, And again, um, you know, like like we said, the the speed or the speed of improvement uh, can be more rapid in the more emerging economies. If we take a step back, how is ESG likely to perhaps transform the investment industry? Yes. Uh, so looking at this sort of more broadly, um, we have talked about Asia's transformation accelerating rapidly, but I think it's it's more and more assets that are being directed at ESG funds or funds integrating ESG analysis, and I think that will become the norm. Um, and as that happens, the industry as a whole really has to improve their knowledge of the key subjects, the key issues, and then how to assess and engage with those companies to improve. Um, And that just leads to more and more scrutiny um, and hence should lead to sustainable improvement for all stakeholders, again, investors, companies, employees and communities. Um, And it's one area where uh, active managers can really add value. You know, in in order to fully assess a company's ESG credentials requires not just data and real, but real engagement. active asset managers should really be able to engage uh, and encourage improvements before any data-driven approach will pick it up, and likewise any deteriorations. And so really we see going forward that any sort of companies um, or investment houses that are in denial or resistant to this ESG transformation are definitely going to be left behind, in our opinion. All right, Peter, so we know the Investment Management Association of Singapore is organizing a two-day virtual conference. Are you going to be speaking? Can you share some of the highlights? Correct. So they're um, organizing a conference with Bloomberg uh, titled The Future of Capital. And really, if you want and you are interested in a lot of the points and factors we've talked about today, there's a range of industry experts 
uh, there that are going to speak um, into a, a lot more um, detail. And if you are interested, you can still register and you still go online at imas.org.sg for more information. And Peter, before we let you go, what do you think of inflationary fears and where do we put our money if we see inflation rise? Yes, so it's very, very topical at the moment. Um, but I would caution that we're definitely coming through to a period of sort of big base effects from last year. So we probably will have to get through that first before we assess whether uh, real inflation is ticking up. And there's still a lot of factors that need to fall into place for that to happen. Um, but obviously, you know, economies that are a bit more geared to old economy reflation should certainly do a bit better. Financials have definitely been a big area of the market that has been unloved for a lot of good reasons. Uh, but at this point in the cycle, it certainly feels like even with reopening, you're going to get some pickup in uh, loan growth uh, and improvement in credit costs. And further down the line, you may even see margin improvement. But there's a long way to go there. Um, and certainly other areas of the market that have been benefiting are in materials. Uh, and particularly those ones that are geared to uh, new energy. So you've seen big new demand drivers coming in, nickel and copper, for example. And those may well be a bit more sustainable than some other areas of the commodity spectrum. But again, I would um, also caution that they've certainly done very well of late, and there should be better opportunities to get back on board in, in those sectors. Great having you join us, Peter. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much uh, for having me, Michelle, um, and thanks, Money FM. Peter Monson there, representing the Investment Management Association of Singapore from Nico Asset Management, which is part of IMAS's executive committee. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.